0: As you can see from that on the screen, we are in the middle of a series that uh, we've entitled The Beginning. It is a part of a two part series, really, uh, that uh, we're going to look at the bookends of time. We're going to walk through the first 11 or 12 chapters in Genesis, and this morning we'll find ourselves in Genesis chapter 5. And then at the end of those uh, series of messages, we will then Fast forward over to the book of Revelation, and I will be a dummy and try to uh, preach through the book of Revelation, so we'll see that end of time. But really, today and next Sunday, if I had my choice, um, and I were one who would just jump around and preach um, wherever, and I was not one who would... uh, kind of preach expositorily, meaning that uh, we go to the next verse, we go to the next paragraph, go to the next chapter, I would skip this message, and I would skip next Sunday. Next Sunday, the sermon is going to be entitled Bizarre Yet True. So don't get ahead of me and uh, read uh, Genesis chapter 6 this morning. But uh, you may want to look at the first four verses um, before you come next week, see if you can figure out what's going on, and then tell me before Sunday morning so I can preach it. But uh, something about God's sons of God and the daughters of men—they uh, get together. So we got to figure out what is happening there and who those sons of gods are, and uh, who those daughters of men are. So, um, but today we come to a passage that, to be honest. It is a genealogy, and I don't know about you, but uh, oftentimes if I see a genealogy, whether it's in Genesis chapter 5, or it's in Nehemiah chapter 7, or it's in 1 Chronicles chapters 1 through 9, or it is in the book of Matthew, or the book of uh, Luke, or anywhere else, I just start seeing a whole list of names, a lot of them that I cannot pronounce. I just skip over them. I got one amen this morning. All right, we can move on. But genealogies, even though they are, as one commentator stated, it is a fast-forward button to go from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Genealogies are necessary, and genealogies are of importance for you and for me. And to be honest, this week I was looking at this, I was thinking about this, I was like, all right, how in the world, what what am I going to say? And then a sermon comes out. Let me ask you a question before we uh, move any further. Those of us who are here this morning, um, most, I would assume. Most of us, as adults, as men, as women, are men and women who say, we have come to this place this morning to worship one who is important to us. We come to this place this morning to say, you know what? God is important to me. He is important to my life. He is important for my eternity, but he's also important for today. And under that assumption and under that statement, let me ask this question. How much of God's Word have you read? Not necessarily this week, but yes, this week. But how much of God's Word have you digested? Have you taken in, have we taken in, and have we applied? E.C. McKinley states this. Many Christians expect the world to respect a book that they neglect. Let that soak in. Many Christians expect the world to respect a book that they, that you and I, that Christians neglect. May we not neglect God's Word. The Bible can change your life. The Bible is full. The Bible is timeless truth. It's not just truth that that was relevant and that was good 2,000 years ago or 4,000 or 7,000 years ago. It is truth today. Before we get into this passage might I draw your attention to four statements that would help you, would help any of us as we read a passage of Scripture to understand what it is and to apply it. The first is a question. Why did the author include the passage? Why did the author include Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 through 32 that is a whole list of names, of times of death and the years that that person, that man lived. Second, and I want you to do this as I read these verses in just one moment, but I want you to look for keywords. I want you to look for phrases. I want you to look for um, a structure and a pattern. I want you to look for themes, and those are the next two to look for keywords and phrases, to look for a structural pattern, and to look for a theme. All in this passage. And then finally, when you read through a passage to try to understand it, look for the meat. And when you find the meat, chew slowly. So, four things I want you to look at as we go through this passage. 32 verses, Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 1. You'll see them on the screen. It states this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth, the days of Adam. And he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived, after he fathered Kenan, 815 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years. And he died. You see a pattern? When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. I wish his name was Tom. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel, were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived, after he fathered Enoch, 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah, 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. All the day, thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived, after he fathered Lamech, 782 years. Lamech lived, after he fathered Noah, 595 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years. And he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bow before you, and God, I ask, I ask, Lord, that you would speak this morning from this list of names that you saw fit for us to have in your word. Above all, I pray that we would see you, and we would see your hand at work throughout the lives, the men, the families, the time of this recording. And Father, we would be able to leave this place this morning secure in your hands, knowing that just as you worked then, you work now. Just as you loved then, You love now. And might we understand, just as we sang a moment ago, that your grace is enough. It's enough for me. It's enough for now. It's enough for all eternity. So, Father, would you speak to us as individuals, and, Father, would you speak to us as a church, your church, A family. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The first point that I want us to look at this morning comes from verses 1 through 3. I'll read them again quickly for us. It states this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The first point this morning is this, that God's grace preserves his image in man. The first three verses of this passage, the first three verses of this chapter speak of some creation verbiage. It it takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. It takes us back to the time in the garden when God in those six days created all the things of creation and especially on day 6 when he created man. And when he created man, when he created Adam, he said this is one with my image in him. And now we see That God's grace preserves his image in man. Seth was born in the image of Adam, but Adam was in the image of God. So therefore, Seth had the image of God in him, just as you and I have the image of God in us. Now, after the fall, that image has been distorted. No longer are you perfect. No longer am I perfect. No longer is mankind perfect because the fall, because sin has entered the world. And we've seen that over the past few weeks, how sin has enticed, how sin has expanded. But even in the midst of its expansion, God's grace preserved his image inside of man. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it states this. God is speaking. He says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. God's grace preserves his image inside of you. That is why Of the billions and billions of people on the face of the earth today. Some seven billion. There is a void inside each and every one of them. That can only be filled by God. Every single person on the face of the earth is seeking to worship. Something. Someone. Multiplied myriads of some things. Or multiplied myriads of some ones. But every single man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth, today, before or ever will be, seeks to worship. All because of God's image. We know there's a void. We try to fill it with everything. We try to fill it with pastime. We try to fill it with, with work. We try to fill it with other relationships. Yet, we find ourselves just like Solomon. says it's vanity upon vanities. It is chasing after the wind. Because the only thing that can fill the void in you and the only thing that can fill the void in me is God. God's grace preserves His image inside of man. But second, we see this, that God's grace allows man to populate the earth. Every single one of these men that are recorded in these verses had sons and had daughters. Every single one of them, they expanded the population in their time. And it grew and grew and grew. i got a question for you. Some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. But think about this. Would you rather have somebody come up to you and say, I'll give you a million dollars? Or would you rather them come up and say, Hey, for the next 30 days, here's what I'll do. I'll give you one penny to start you out, and every day I'll double it. Which one would you rather have? Well, if you're a smart person, you'd want the penny. Because at the end of 30 days of having one penny and doubling it every day so that the next day you get two, the next day you get four, the next day you'll get eight. Then I I can't remember how many. But at the end of those 30 days, you'll have $1.6 million. These people, just take that into consideration, that these people, they lived some 900 years, they lived some 840 years, they lived in 910 years, they lived 777 years, they lived 782 years, they lived 969 years. All of these men, all of these people had numerous children, and the population grew. The end could have been so quick. Think about it for a second. The end could have been so quick. God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, hey, if you eat of this, you will die. They ate of it. He could have just annihilated them, and there would have been two, and it would have been over. But he also commanded them. He said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to fill the earth. Multiply it, in it. And that's exactly what they were doing. It's only by God's grace that this has happened. It's only by God's grace that he has allowed man to populate the earth in those days and also in our days. God's grace allows mankind to populate. The third and fourth points this morning, I want to spend a little more time. The third is this, that God's grace prevails through sin, prevails over sin by granting long life. I just stated for you a number of these men, how long they lived, and you're like, there's no way in the world that these guys could have lived that long. That, that's unheard of. Well, to be honest with you, that's short in comparison to some extra-biblical or non-biblical historical time slots of the day there's a list of Sumerian kings, S-U-M-E-R-I-A-N, kings, that is stated to live 20,000 to 42,000 years. And you're like, that's just crazy. That's that's unheard of. 900 years doesn't sound very long then, does it? 42,000 years? Egyptian uh, histories state that there are Kings and pharaohs and nobles in their day that lived hundreds and thousands, even of years. It brought to my thought and to my mind a song by the name, by a group named AlphaVille back in the 80s. Some of you weren't born then, but AlphaVille back in the 80s sang a song. You can listen to 104.5 and you can still hear it. Forever Young. I know Rod Stewart had a song similar in in title, but here's what some of the words are, Stephen. Maybe you can sing it while you're roasting some marshmallows. But he said this. Some are like water. Some are like the heat. Some are a melody. And some are the beat. Sooner or later, they will all be gone. Why don't they stay young? It's so hard to get old without a cause. I don't want to perish like a fleeing horse. Youths like diamonds in the sun, and diamonds are forever. So many adventures couldn't happen today. So many songs we forgot to play. So many dreams swinging out of the blue. We let them come true. Forever young. I want to be forever young. Do you really want to live forever? Forever and ever? Forever young. I want to be forever young. Do do you really want to live forever? Forever and ever. That's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to live forever. We're all trying to be young, are we not? You know, this week, uh, Paige and the kids were gone, and so I sat in my recliner in no conversation, glued to a screen more than I normally would. And as I was glued to a screen, I started flipping through the channels, and I just started counting. How many channels? deal. 24 hours a day with us being young. Whether it's from some supermodel trying to sell this antioxidant that's going to keep your face and your skin so moist and the wrinkles aren't going to appear. I bought some. And, or whether it's a whole channel just devoted to facelifts over the past 15 years i did some research over the past 15 years from 1997 through 2011 326% increase in cosmetic surgery procedures from 1.6 million in the year 1997 to 9.2 million procedures in 2011 2009, the number shot up in the midst of a recession, shot up to 10 billion with a B dollars. 2012, the numbers just came in. 2012, over 11 billion dollars spent by Americans to put Botox. In a forehead. To fill up a lip that was not looked at as full. To Hey guys, here's your favorite one. Just for the guys, not for the ladies to uh, get your nose fixed. Second favorite for the guys, which has increased 121% in the last 10 years. You get your love handles taken care of. We all want to be forever young. Why are we so caught up in this world? Why do we spend millions and billions of dollars each and every year? And I believe that it is because we have not taken heed to the words of Peter. When Peter wrote to the church in The first century, he wrote, and he wanted to remind them, and might I remind myself, and might I remind us that we are aliens. We are pilgrims in this land. This is not our home. Our home comes after this stop. And until we come to the realization, until we come to the place in our lives, we will be chasing after youth just as this nation. My first pastor, I pastored in the middle of about 25 million pine trees down in South Mississippi. And um, the church that I had the um, privilege of pastoring was a... Church that was growing older. The first year that I was there, I had 13 funerals. In my four and a half years there, I think I buried, by my sermons, I think I buried like 35 people. Um, I remember sitting at a, uh, y'all are dead today, anyway. Um, I remember sitting at a party one night in a guy's house it was for the deacons and their wives, and they invited the, they invited me and Paige over, and so Paige and I were there, and we were sitting in his kitchen, in this guy's kitchen, and we there's an island there, and there's chairs up there, and one guy was sitting on this side of me, and another guy was sitting on this side, and they were kind of having a conversation. I was in between them, and then they turned their focus to me, and they called me Preacher, and the 70-something-year-old guy looked at me. I was in my 20s, and he said, I just want to let you know, Preacher, that growing old, it ain't for sissies. I wrote that one down. I said, I can use that one. Wrote that one right here. The 60-something-year-old started to unfold all the different things and the maladies that he was going through and his wife was going through, and I just didn't want to go anywhere close to those. But I started thinking about it. Three weeks, I'll turn 40. I started thinking about it. You know, when I was in my 20s and I was looking at that 70 something year old and I was looking at 60, I was like, I don't know if I want to get there. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, I just, oh, I don't know if I want to be 85 years old. Well, guess what? If you're 84, you want to be 85. Just go out on a big thick limb and say, if you're 84, you're going to want to be 85. If I'm 39, I want to be 40. If I'm 40, I want to be 41. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons, but before we move to the final point this morning, let's keep it in perspective. Might you and I understand that, yes, we might live to 41, we might live to 61, we might live to 91, we might even make it with Willard Scott and all those folks at 101 or 113, but might our focus not be on here? Might our focus be on the days and the years and the decades and the millennium to come. A fourth and final point this morning is this. In the midst of all these men who lived, fathered this son and fathered other sons and daughters and lived this long after they had fathered this son, and ultimately they died, God's grace provides for you and for me an example of a meaningful life. Verse number 21 down through verse 24. Genesis records these words. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. One pastor has stated it this way. As Enoch and God were walking, they walked Numerous days, and they walked day after day, year after year. And it came when Enoch was 365. One day God and Enoch were walking, and God said, Hey Enoch, you're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? There are two men in Scripture that never died. The one is Enoch that we just read of, and the other is Elijah. We know what happened to Elijah. Elijah was carried out in a fiery chariot, but Enoch just He was not, and God took him. I don't know if there were days that Enoch's kids were just looking around for him. Where'd where'd daddy go? I don't know if those days went to weeks or even months, but in the New Testament, it's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 that Enoch was not because God took him. There was a meaningful life and an example of that given for you and for me right here in this genealogy. What does it mean to walk with God? Enoch communicated with God. Enoch had conversations with God. He's walking and he's working and he's talking and nobody else is around. It's just Enoch. But God's listening. God speaking, and there's a meaningful life that is here. It's a great example of what our lives should be filled with. Our lives should be filled with the same thing that Enoch's life was filled with. His life was filled with the desire to please God. What's your life filled with? What's my life filled with? Does it mean that Enoch? Didn't sin? Oh, he sinned. Marcus Dodd commentator stated it this way. When he fell into sin, when he falls into sin, he he can't rest. Enoch can't rest until he has resumed his place at God's side and continues his walk with him. When you and I fall into sin, can we rest? Do we follow after that sin or we find ourselves like Enoch and just not rest until we're back at God's side. If there was one thing that God could give you, if, if you found yourself like Solomon did and God came to Solomon and he said, whatever you want, one thing, whatever it is, I'll give it to you. Ask me whatever you want. What would it be? Maybe for some of us it'd be, just get me out of debt. A million dollars. Long life. Solomon's answer was, uh, Lord, just give me wisdom to be able to rule over your people. For I am but a youth, and I I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to be doing. And God said, you know what, that's a great answer. Because you didn't ask for riches, because you didn't ask for me to expand the kingdom, because you didn't ask for me to have long days, I'll give you all of those things plus the wisdom to do. What you asked. What do you want in life? John Piper states this. He says, Preferring anything, anything above Christ is the essence of sin. Many of us here today, we. If we were honest, we would say, you know what, I do prefer things more than I prefer Christ. I, I, I do prefer, I, I have this leisure, I have this pastime, I have this team, I have this, this family member, I have this job that I prefer more than Christ. When this occurs, you and I fail to walk with him. When this occurs in my life, sin enters. When it occurs in your life, sin enters. And the fellowship that we have with the Father, the walking, stops. And what we want, what I want is, when I come back to him, I want to start right there. And let's mosey on. But God says, you know what, we've got to deal with this. we got to deal with the issue. we got to deal with your rebellion, Brian. We can't just sweep it under the rug and say, you know what, it was really, it was really just a little mishap. No, it was flat-out rebellion against God. And until I deal with my sin, until you deal with your sin, we can't have fellowship anymore. The altar this morning is open for all of us to deal with sin. To deal with thoughts that we've had this week about our spouse that we shouldn't have had. To deal with with words that uh, we've allowed to come through our vocal cords that shouldn't have come through shouldn't have come through, and the tone that they came through shouldn't have come through at all, and to deal with actions that our hands and our feet and our whole lives have been about. The invitation's for you. As much as it is, it's for me for us to come back to the Father. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. God, the example of Enoch, Lord, I'm reminded of of what others wrote of him in the blackness of the night that was around him, how he lived his life. It was a shining light. Father, it seems as if all of us are in the midst of darkness in the lives, in the culture, in the world that we live in. Father, might my attitude be one that reflects you? Might my thoughts be those that reflect you? Might my words, my actions, might they be done in obedience for you? Lord, even in the midst of a genealogy, might you speak might it grip me and might it grip us to the point that we remember it, that I remember it tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Friday at 9 o'clock. And might you draw us, draw me closer to you. The altar is open for you to come sir for you to come ma'am if you need to pray with someone i'll be more than happy to pray with you but might we see the example of enoch and might we draw close to the father in christ's name amen